Welcome to the Realities of College Recruiting Podcast, where our team of former college coaches, players, and MLB scouts tackle the most critical college recruiting topics. With guests including college coaches, MLB pro scouts, and industry insiders, we will empower you with the tips and strategies needed to gain an advantage in your college recruiting process. The Sports Force Podcast is powered by our partner, Five Tool Baseball. Okay, let's start the show. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We got Coach Rich Price from uh, Kansas University. Um, actually, University of Kansas. University of Kansas, correct. We're going to start over on that. So, all right. Thanks for joining us. We got Coach Rich Price, University of Kansas Jayhawk Rock Chalk is the uh, is the name of the game. Coach, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Andrew. It's always good to see you, man. Absolutely. So let's rewind the clock real quick. Uh, I think we first ran into each other back in Alaska. Uh, you were coaching a summer ball team, um, traveling up to the AK to play against uh, your former uh, player, Mark O'Brien, who was coaching the Bucks. Uh, you, you remember those times? Well, it was a great time, pal. I mean, it, that was when the Alaska League and the Cape were the two best leagues in the country. And the premier guys on the West Coast all got sent to Alaska in those days. And Boy, they used to draw great, and you guys used to get to go fishing. And that day, list of alumni that have played in the Alaska League that went on to play in the big leagues is absolutely incredible. No doubt about it. Well, we're going to cover a variety of different things. Um, I think for for many players, parents, coaches that listen, um, you've had an interesting uh, journey, you know, through your coaching career. Um, you know, started at a high school level, right? And That's then went, went to the college level at Menlo, and then – to the junior college level at De Anza, uh, then Cal Poly, um, San Luis Obispo, Division I, uh, Big West Conference out on the West Coast, and then 18 years at, uh, at University of Kansas now, right? Correct, correct. And so I'm curious, I wanna lead into, because the background on someone who's coached this long, there had to be um, some mentors or some guides, some people that really influenced, you know, the spirit of your, of your coaching. Uh, I'm curious if you can maybe touch on a few of those, um, you know, just to lead us off into kind of why you do what you do. Yeah, I appreciate that, Andrew. I, you know, I, you can tell you've been a long time in this game when they refer to you now as the veteran head coach everywhere I go or the dean of the Big 12 coaches conferences. I'm now the longest tenured coach in our league. And when I started coaching, Andrew, the funny thing about the whole story was, when I got out of college, every outstanding coach on the West Coast was had been a high school coach at some point in time. It wasn't like you got out of done coaching and you got out of done playing pro ball and you went right to the Division One levels of volunteer like you see so many young coaches doing today. I was a high school coach for three years at Phoenix High in Medford, Oregon, and caught a great group of athletes. And I was the assistant football coach when we won a state championship. I was the head freshman basketball coach and was the head baseball coach and at a little tiny 2A school in Oregon. And the great thing about it was I stepped off the college campus and got to be a head coach right out of the gate. And I went from there to uh, Jasper, Texas, to a really large high school and had a chance to, to, to compete and coach both football and baseball in that great state. And it was my first experience coaching black athletes, Andrew. And it was fabulous. It's still one of the greatest experiences of my coaching career. And I was there two years. We had the best record in the state of Texas when I left. And I jokingly tell you that because we were able to recruit the best athletes that were just playing football when I first got there. 
and I got those guys playing summer baseball with me and playing two sports. And Jasper had about eight NFL football players in the NFL when I was coaching football at that time. And I went from there to the smallest JC in the state at Menlo College when it was the only private junior college in the state. Don Vicky, the AD, hired me. He told me if I took that job, it would ruin my career. They were 6-28 and 28 the year before I got there. They'd had about 11 losing seasons in a row. It was the only private JC in the state, and it cost like $12,000. Yeah. And just to give you an idea, to go to De Anza College, just 12 miles down the road that had 30,000 students, it cost $100 a semester in those days. So we had three scholarships when I took over. And whoever was a local kid that went to Saul Don Bakey, they changed coaches five years in a row because it was 3,000 bucks. That's how bad I wanted to be a college coach. I knew I had to get started. I was the youngest coach in the state at age 26 when I got that job. And uh, the great thing about this story is the two shortstops that were on scholarship my first year in the Coast Conference, they made 97 errors, okay, combined. And I'd flip one from third, one to second, and I pride myself on being an infield guy, and we can't catch a ball, okay? Oh, my God. So it's like I, I coached high school for five years, and any one of the high school shortstops I, I coached would have started at Menlo College on that team. And the great line I'm sharing that with you is, is Don Bakey had told me when I went to interview with him in the summertime and I was going to be the defensive backfield coach and the head baseball coach, he goes, if you take this job, it's going to ruin your career. Nah, there's no way. That's not going to happen. At the end of that first year, Andrew, I actually thought it was going to be true. Okay. <laughs> oh, so my, yeah. So my third year, we were lucky enough to have the best record in school history. And I went from the smallest JC in the state down the road to De Anza College. And um, I could have coached there the rest of my life, Andrew, and thought I was one of the luckiest guys ever coach this game. It, it's, it's an incredible place to play, incredible place mm -hmm. to go to school, and you should be good there, Andrew. If you're not good at De Anza College, you're not a very good coach, okay? Mm -hmm. It had all the resources of every major university has in the country. That's awesome. And I'm curious, you know, as you look back and you think about um, was there a coach or two from your the coaching tree that you were under um, that kind of just was a big mentor, uh, you know, to your development? Yeah, my, I was lucky enough to grow up in a baseball family. My dad was a coach and my grandfather was a high school coach and both my uncles were as well. And I think anytime you grow up in a baseball family, all you think about from the time you can walk is I want to play in the big leagues. And then when you're done playing, you want to coach and give back to the game and be involved in the game every day. And I thank my dad for the passion that I have for the game and my grandfather. And, you know, my junior college coach was really instrumental in my career. So was Coach Trimbeth at Willamette because he taught me the importance of education. Because when I went there, all I wanted to do was play, Andrew. It's like I knew when I was done, I wanted to coach. And he was a really good teacher. And he taught me the importance of getting that degree and setting yourself up for life. And it's a message that I try to send to our players today. And Coach Dickerson, my high school coach, was a fabulous individual and a fabulous coach. And I actually coached the Legion teams when I was in high school during the week. I pulled green chain when I was putting myself through school in those days. And the plywood mills in Oregon and I'd go play semi-pro ball on Saturdays and Sundays we'd play double hitters and there was no getting sent out in those days and, and living with host families everybody worked to put themselves through school and but I got to be a head high school or head American Legion coach and we won the state championship my junior year and uh, I had three job offers during my senior year to be head high school coaches so I, I got a huge jump thanks to my high school coach coach Dickerson. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, getting that early of a start is such a such a big deal. 
Um, well, you think about you're kind of the lifer and you've seen, you know, what universities have been like and you've seen how, how much college baseball has transitioned. Um, I mean, you got the, uh, the KU, uh, you know, logo behind you. You're in a nice office. I mean, how much different is, is baseball in terms of how it's supporting student athletes nowadays um, relative to the training tables, the, 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 the equipment, the, the development? I mean, if, if you're to paint a picture uh, for players, parents, um, how much it's changed even in the last 10 to 15 years, what, what would you say are some of the biggest differences? Well, I think the, 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 the facilities race, Andrew's off the charts. The yeah. kids that are playing at the Power Five conference level today and at a lot of the mid-major schools across the country are literally playing in ballparks that would have hosted double-A teams when I first started my coaching career. The facilities are just beyond belief. And not just the baseball facility, but the indoor hitting facilities, the weight room, the full-time strength coaches, the nutritionists, the training table, uh, the way kids travel. We traveled in vans and coach coaches and players drove the vans when I played. Now it's charter buses and you're flying across the country and you're playing in front of 7,000 people at, at Texas or 12,000 people at LSU. Uh, it is incredible the progress college baseball has made in the 25 years I've been a Division One coach. 100%. It's, uh, it's big time. I mean, it's uh... – you know, if you're going to go the high school versus pro, uh, the college versus pro route coming out of high school, I think you really need to think about um, big time college baseball and what it's like uh, as an accelerator to uh, for your potential professional career post college. Um, I know a lot of a lot of pro ball guys, you know, just support going the uh, the college route um, in terms of their development. Uh, I'm I'm curious, you know, at University of Kansas, you guys have um, such a strong background in athletics. Uh, basketball's been kind of the, the big animal, you know, for such a long time. Um, how do student athletes um, work together and kind of build community? Because as you know, the college student athlete experience um, is, is really critical that a student just doesn't go to a college and go, all right, I'm going to be a baseball player. This is the only thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to go to class and I'm going to do baseball. I'm curious how you try to help your student athletes integrate with the overall student body and, and be part of that total, you know, University of Kansas experience. Well, you know, Andrew, one of the things that we sell at KU is the whole student athlete experience. Okay. It's not just playing in the power five conference and playing against Texas and TCU and Oklahoma state and Texas tech. Uh, obviously to play in our league, which is one of the two best leagues in America, seven straight weekends, you line up with somebody's in the top 25. It completely prepares you to play professional baseball. The average velocity in our league of every single team is 90 miles an hour. So you don't see the one guy on Friday night who's 90 miles an hour, and then it's 86, 87. You see professional arms all three days of the weekend. And when you get the starter out, it, when I was coaching at Cal Poly, other than when you played Fullerton and Long Beach, there'd be a huge drop-off in the bullpen guys. In, in our league, when that guy leaves, the guy coming out of the pin is showing 94, 95, okay? Yeah. And it's, it's incredible, the arm strength that young men have today. And it's, it's about all the things you're talking about. It's about the personal trainers growing up and the long toss program, obviously the commitment to the weight room, the nutrition. Kids are bigger and stronger than any time in the history of our game. And uh, all those things are incredible preparing you to be a professional baseball player. 
at the same time, when you leave, if you don't leave without a degree, then I didn't do my job. I'm trying to prepare my guys to be successful in life. And we want you to have a great college experience. We want you to enjoy the competition on the field. Obviously, be successful. Hopefully, accomplish your dream of being a professional player. But we also want you to graduate. And we want you to enjoy the social part of going to school. We want you to, to enjoy your major. And we have tutors that, that are paid by our university almost a million dollars last year in the whole department. And they're free. And there's, we have a full-time academic counselor. Our basketball team has three full-time academic counselors. So, so the, the resources Power 5 schools can have to give you a great experience are off the charts. But they're only as good as a student makes it. I'm one of the few guys in the country that lets guys be engineering majors. And when I, and when I tell you the reason why I do that, our, our ballpark's named Hogan Ballpark. He was ahead of Enron in the 1970s when they built the Alaska Pipeline. Mm. And obviously he went out on his own and became one of the 500 wealthiest men in America, but they were going to drop baseball here in the 1980s. And he personally funded the program. Mm. So it's like if, if I would have told him when he was playing for me in the 1950s, when he was playing here, that he couldn't be an engineering major, there'd be no baseball program here today. We'd be Iowa State or we'd be Colorado. And uh, so we let our guys be major in what they are, what their goals are in life. We have pre-med majors. We have kids in law school. Uh, we have a bunch of new engineering majors, and it takes some, some cooperation on our part. We have to work guys out early. They yeah. leave early, practice early. They come back to practice late because, as you know, in the sequencing of classes, you get your junior, senior year, that engineering class may only be at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yep. And those are concessions that we have to make to give guys a quality student-athlete experience. And this is one of the 20 best college towns in America. Great place to go to school socially. But it also takes discipline to go to school here. I always reflected Arizona State, and you're an Arizona State guy. I mean, that's the number one party school in America. When I got here, they'd had five straight losing seasons, and KU was a top 10 party school. So they were really good at party, and they weren't very good at baseball. Okay, so we have to overachieve every day, Andrew. But I also think when you're done, the guys that you've lived with for four years, that you've gone to the weight room with, that you've gotten the buses and all the nights in the hotels, those are going to be your best friends for life. And I get – pictures sent to me all the time now of guys' weddings, and there'll be eight baseball players there. Mm-hmm. And they're from five different states. It's yeah. an incredible bond that you never lose when you're done playing if you enjoy the whole experience and not just worry about am I starting or am I a backup guy or I'm transferring if I'm not playing. Hey, man, I, I think the guys that are the most successful that I respect the most, Andrew, are the backup guys. Yep. They're the guys that give and give and give, and they're your best teammates, especially that third catcher. That guy sits in that bullpen – from two hours for game time, all through that ball game, giving back to his teammates. Sure. He might only get 10 bats a year during the course of the season. But that guy's the guy when it's over with, I got incredible respect for that young man. Absolutely. Well, that's a huge point. I mean, for anybody listening, uh, that whole student athlete experience, being able to major in what you want to major in, not being shoehorned into you got to do this and you got you to toe the line exactly the way we want you to. Um, you know, some college programs are set up very strict, like you got to kind of toe the line their way. Um, so that's huge to, uh, to, to consider as a player or as, or as a parent or even as a travel ball or high school coach um, when you're looking at uh, colleges and evaluating colleges for players. Um, talking about that, the power of graduating from, you know, University of Kansas, how do, 
um, the baseball alumni work together? How do you try to kind of create that family? So you've been, you know, there quite a long time. So you've seen these cycles. And what we always tell families is college is arguably the largest decision and investment that you're going to make in your son's life or in your child's life if you have a daughter. Um, as a student athlete, it's even more critical because it's not as though you're just graduating from a university and saying, all right, I'm an alumni of University of Kansas or USC or ASU. No, you're an alumni of that actual athletic program, which has a whole body of, net, uh, of, of relationships and a network that can provide you know, career opportunities. There's business owners, there's athletic directors, there's CEOs, you name it, right? Um, you maybe touch on that a little bit in terms of just kind of the reach of your, just the baseball alumni network that you're dealing with. Well, I think, I think anytime you go to a school in the Midwest that has Midwest values where it's about God, family, country, there's a sense of pride here that's incredible. It's not a commuter school. You have to live on campus as a freshman. So there's 12,000 freshmen on campus out of the 30,000 uh, students that are here full time. One of the great things that our, that our school does, we have a diamond club and we have a margin of excellence fund where our athletes can give back to the sports that they played and it goes into our baseball account and we're able to use those dollars that are given back by ex-players and alumni and their families for baseball improvements. And I've been here 18 years now. And we've raised over $7 million of improvements in our facility, not $1 school money, Andrew. Mm. As you and I know, the difference in football and basketball, the schools build those facilities, okay? Yep. Uh, with the revenue resources off TV revenues and ticket sales. Baseball is funded by alums and, and, and friends of the program, and you have to build relationships. So my, my secretary has a database list of over 800 names that we send our diamond notes every Monday after we've played a series to all 800 people. Mm. And our fundraising letter that we send at Christmas time where we give them the background about our team GPA, which players graduated, which players uh, signed professional baseball contracts, the compliments during the year, that letter raises over $200,000 a year at Christmas time. Mm. And then we're able to turn around and use those resources to help give our players a better experience. And a year ago, I spent almost $80,000 on TrackMan, Rapsodo, the Edradon camera, all those new technological things that are out there are important in player development. So yep. when you sit down and write that letter, hey, these are the things that we don't have that everybody else in our league has. And through the generosity of our donors and our alumni, we were able to purchase all those, all those pieces of uh, technology last year to help our players improve their individual skill set. And you have to build relationships in order to, to, and kids have to have a great experience and feel great about where they went to school, not just play baseball, but yep. the whole college experience in order to have that kind of loyalty and to give back to their universities. 100%. And uh, I think the, the, the beauty of looking at how you choose schools nowadays, uh, we try to tell families there's so many different decision factors beyond, you know, am I smart enough? Do they have my major? Is there an opportunity for playing time? You know, do I like the coach? You got to dig in on some of the, some of this deeper um, elements, including player development, including off the field, you know, development and uh, leadership development and culture. I'm curious, are there any like key core principles or values that um, you kind of uh, stand for, uh, you know, within your program, you say, hey, 
we're going to build, you know, faith in each other. We're going to have this level of, you know, commitment to excellence. I'm, I'm just curious if you have any, I, I think back to ASU and I remember a few things Murph used to say, uh, but um, what are some of your kind of go-to, um, I guess, va values or principles? Yeah, I, I think for us, there's three things is, is that we're trying to help our players prepare to be successful in life. That's the core value of our program, number one. Number two, every young man we bring in our program, we've done our homework where we want kids that, that want the whole college package, that are good students, that are good individuals, that uh, are going to be great teammates. And our whole thing's about being a, being a Jayhawk for life, okay? It's, we have to overachieve, Andrew. When I left California, I mean, we, went, we go outside almost every single day. If you get one day inside because of rain, there's no indoor heating facilities in California. You don't need them, okay? Nope. But you come to the Midwest and you might have snow on the ground for two weeks. And, you, and you're traveling to play on the weekend and you're working out from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock at night in your indoor football facility so kids can go to tutors first, okay? So there's a constant give and take involved in that. But our whole thing is if we're going to be successful in our league, there's more people in the city of Austin than there is in our whole state. Mm -hmm. So you start talking about tradition. You played at Arizona State. Nobody has better tradition 25 years ago than Arizona State baseball had, okay? Now Vanderbilt's become that, okay? When you sit and look at Arizona State, what it was 25 years ago, sure, sure. Vanderbilt, to what Stanford was when Coach Stotts and Coach Marcus had it going, when they yep. made five trips to the World Series. But – we don't have the – our basketball team has one of the three most successful programs in the history of college basketball. They have unbelievable tradition, unbelievable facilities, unbelievable fan base, unbelievable alumni. We have to overachieve. No. So those things are what we're playing against. We're playing against that against Texas, against Oklahoma State. So our whole thing at our place is, is that we're going to grind every day. Yep. We're going to walk in the ballpark. We're going to be professional. We're going to work. We're going to grind, and we're going to overachieve. And one of my favorite sayings is we walk in, into Texas, there's 35 guys in our dugout on a, on a road trip like that, counting our trainer, counting our student manager, 35 guys in that dugout, 7,000 people in stands. So I make the an Alamo re reference, okay? <laughs> Except we're going to walk in here and we're going to win, okay? And we're going to win. And when you, when you walk across that line and you're giving high fives afterwards, what a great feeling because wow. they've got all the resources in the world, you know? Yeah. And it's, but you got to have the right mindset, Andrew. If you got guys that are selfish, that only play for the name on the front of the shirt or the back of the shirt and don't play for the name that says Kansas, you can't be successful with those kind of limitations that we have. Our weather sucks. It's, yep. it's a reality. Is that you live in paradise right now. You grew up in paradise. I left paradise. But I also get to coach at one of the greatest universities in America, coach at one of the greatest conferences. And when you put it all together, I'd rather be here than be in San Luis Obispo. And this is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Sure. Yep. Well, when you say your weather sucks, it's probably just uh, a, a few months of the year. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not ideal, right? Yeah. Uh, February yeah. and March aren't good, Andrew. Let me just tell you that, buddy. <laughs> but our budget's good enough. We're able to travel like most of the, like Indiana. The programs that are good can get out of the Midwest, get on a plane and go play warm weather states and prepare properly. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit because we talk a lot about the type of players that you like to recruit. Um, talk about your different needs for different grad years and what you're looking for the classes. You're kind of in a unique situation as a power five school um, where you don't over recruit. Um, you kind of have a set number of the type of players that, that you want to bring in each year. Um, 
why don't you talk a little bit about, I guess, your, your recruiting philosophy, and you're also a little bit later than some of the schools that are looking at, I mean, I heard some 26 got verbally committed recently or something. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm serious. Um, Mike Trout? Huh? Mike Trout? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Rainbow Trout, Mini Trout, yeah. Uh, so share a little bit about kind of your, your philosophy and your staff's approach. Yeah, I have a different philosophy about it, Andrew, and you can tell I've been at it 25 years. When I started, there was no such thing as taking scholarships away from guys and running guys off that were backing up, okay? And then the over-recruiting that you see, you can only sign 20, you can only have 27 guys at any one time on scholarship, 25% minimum. You and I'll pick up collegiate baseball in January at the coaches convention, and there'll be programs in there that signed over 25 guys. Yep. And so literally on paper, they've got that many guys coming in. They're expecting to lose 10 or 12 of those guys in the draft that will never show up. But they've taken every player in their program's money away, okay, in order to do that. And then when the year is over, the guys that weren't starting, they're taking the guys' money away because they're overcapped. Uh, when, I got, when I came to KU, our athletic director, Lou Perkins, was an All-American basketball player in Iowa. He was the AD at Connecticut when they won – three national championships. We had big 10 rules here in those days where you could only oversign one books and tuition. Okay. So you, so, so, was, so he told me one day we had Tony Thompson that won the triple crown uh, his sophomore year. He's going to be a first three round draft pick. He's going to be a junior. And my AD told, I went in to see him. I go, Luke, can I give his books and tuition away in the early signing period? He goes, no, Richie. He goes, if he doesn't get drafted high enough to sign, I want him to be able to come back to school. He goes, if he signs, I'll be his biggest fan the rest of his career. You can go find somebody in the summertime. Well, you and I both know those whole parameters have changed, okay? Now you're trying to replace an All-American with somebody who's there late in June that's a late bloomer. That can be a really small pool of guys as you try to compete with. But the reality of it is this, is that where we're located, the kid who's going to sign with Arizona State or he's going to sign with LSU, we're not going to get him here. Okay, with our limitations, weather-wise, we're going to take guys that I like to use my junior college background, the guys that I recruited that were non-recruited out of high school that went to Arizona and played for Coach Kendall two years after playing for me in junior college. Scott Kidd, the national cross-checker of the Oakland A's. Yep. I, I've got eight players from Kansas playing in the big leagues right now. Best player I've ever coached. Yep. So, it's, so like he wins the – he's junior college player year as a freshman. I let him go to Arizona. Sophomore year, I wasn't going to make him come back. Sure. He got to go play for Coach Kendall's junior year. He's all conference. First team doesn't get drafted. He comes and plays for me at Cal Poly, and he wins the Big West batting title and gets to AAA with the Yankees. But I'm trying to find the guy that if, if our coaching staff does its job and we continue the developmental process, we can turn into a professional baseball player. Okay? So, but, it's, but we also make mistakes too, Andrew. It's when you don't get the premier guy – you recruit guys that, hey, may not make that jump you're hoping for them to make, then we still honor our commitment to those guys. Absolutely. What, what advice would you give to um, a, a player going through this process now who's, you know, in that D1, you know, caliber, um, and they're, they're, they're down to, you know, five schools, and they're, they're kind of narrowing it down. Um, I'm just curious from a if you were a parent of a kid who's, you know, a 17-year-old right now, a 2022 who hasn't committed anywhere yet? I think the first thing is, is 
kids are committing way too early. There's over a thousand players in the NCAA transfer portal right now. Okay. There's there. I'll make a prediction for you, Andrew. There's going to be a thousand more at Christmas time. Yep. When, when all the teams get through, they've got 60, 65 guys on their roster right now because of all the seniors that, that got their year of eligibility back. We had 13 seniors a year ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. The average in my league was six. I got eight guys that graduated. They're back here on the field this fall. They want to play the year they missed. Uh, every roster in the country is like that right now. So playing time is going to be even harder. And you hear all the rumors about conference only. So if you've got 21 conference games, how are you going to play 45 guys? Sure. It, it, it's impossible. And it's impossible for guys to develop property with those parameters unless they're playing. But my advice to any parent is, number one, is don't rush the process. Everybody sees the Andrew Brinebrick, who's one of the best players in America, committing to Arizona State. And if they're on their travel team, those parents want their son committing the same time you did. Well, their son's not you, okay? Yep. He might be a 15th rounder out of college when he develops. But I, I think the big thing for me is, is take your time, do your homework, study the, the depth charts at the schools that are recruiting you, the opportunities to play, the size of the scholarship tells you how bad the program wants you. Is it a one-year scholarship or is it a four-year scholarship? I always tell the kids that we're recruiting, hey, man, you want to find out how loyal that program is? Ask them to give that scholarship to you for four years in writing and see what kind of response you get, okay? Because they can't take your money away when you've got a four-year agreement, all right? Yep. But, but it's, it, to me, it's the whole package. You got to, the major has to fit because the baseball part's going to end and it may end right out of college, okay? Or your second year in the minor leagues, which it does for 75% of the guys that sign. So you have the major, so you can prepare to be successful in life, the location of the school, how important it is for mom and dad, grandma and grandpa to see you play, okay? Is my skill set ready to play early in my career at that level? Or do I have to sit and develop? Can I sit and develop? Because we've all played with guys and coach guys, hey, they can't back up. They're gamers, man. They, want, they don't care where they're playing as long as they're playing. And, and then I think the other part is, and this is a huge part, the financial impact of it all. My youngest son was being recruited by Coach Stotts at Stanford, okay? And it's like, I would have mortgaged the house to send him there. I believe that much in the value of the Stanford degree. His two brothers are playing at KU. They graduate. They both play pro ball. We go play Stanford. We actually won the series two out of three, okay? He, gets on, he comes and sees me in my office Monday. Walks in my office, he goes, I'm not going to stand. I want to play at KU with my brothers, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's one of the greatest days of my life when he walked out of there because I got a guy who could play any place in the country that day. And I took a scholarship way his junior year, okay? So I could <laughs> sign a picture. But, uh, but the <laughs> thing about him, we made a regional too, Andrew. We were in the top 20 that year too, so it was money well spent. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that kids need to sit down and not let the ego get into it and pick a place for all the right reasons and not just one. Yeah, and that takes quite a lot of deliberation. Um, and it's asking tough, tough questions. I mean, I think uh, a lot of parents and players aren't ready or prepared to ask coaches the tough questions. Like, they just take things at, at face value. Um, don't dig into the tough questions. This is, this is a marriage you're getting into. Hopefully, it's a three-year marriage or a four-year marriage if you've signed professionally. Um, but recruiting is the dating process. But when, when, when you get on campus, it, it becomes a real marriage and it becomes a partnership that, uh, that, that needs to be set up to last. Um, so that's a, that's a huge deal. Um, 
I'm curious, talk about the recruiting portal because you kind of skimmed over it a little bit and a lot of parents and players don't even know what it is. Like they think it, when I say the recruiting portal to them, you know what they think? They think the NCAA eligibility center. Yeah. yeah they go, oh, yeah, like I got my number. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, because we talk about, you know, the truth and the reality of, uh, of, of how many transfers are happening. So if you don't mind, just give us maybe like a kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of, uh, of the portal, how it works and, you know, the challenges of it. Yeah, two years ago, the NCA set up the NCA transfer portal so kids could go online and they could, they could enter the transfer portal and were automatically given permission to talk to any school in the country. You used to be you had to walk into the coach's office and he, and he had to sign a form that allowed you to talk to other schools. What's going to happen after this year, Andrew, kids are going to be able to transfer and play immediately again like they used to be able to do 10 years ago. And I'm all for it. I mean, it's like, I'll use my guy Kevin Tillman for an example. Kevin Tillman's playing with you at Arizona State. Nope. You're the third-round draft pick. He's backing you up. He transfers and plays for me. He makes first team all Big West at Cal Poly. He's a 10th round draft pick, signs with the Cleveland Indians. You're both outstanding players, and you were a higher draft pick and an All-American player, and he's backing you up. He comes and gets a chance to play for me, has a great experience, and gets to play pro ball. And how about Arizona State? Dustin Petrosian and Ian Kinsler on the same roster playing yep. second base at the same time. Two guys that have both made over $150 million in the game, okay? And if Kinsler hadn't a transfer, nobody even know the name right now, right? But he transfers to Missouri, signs, and plays 10, 12 years in the big leagues right now. But yep. the, the one thing that the transfer portal is, there's over 1,000 players in there right now. 90% of them have had their money taken away by the school that they're at because the school's overcapped, and they've got, they only have 27 guys on scholarship. They don't renew their money. And then the coaches tell them, hey, man, you need to go somewhere else, okay, because we got a 35-man limit. We got 27 guys on scholarship. You're now the third, third baseman or, or something. You yep. need to go someplace where you can play. And that's the transfer portal set up for guys to enter, to be recruited by other programs now. Yeah, and, and I guess the the harsh reality of the portal is that there's also, you know, you talk about a thousand in there now and probably another thousand in December when schools kind of shuffle and, and decide, you know, not to move on with certain players. The harsh reality of this is this is why getting the college decision right the first time is so critical is you're going to go into that transfer portal and a large majority of those players are not going to find a new home. That's right. Yeah. yeah. They're going to hang up their cleats yeah. and life's going to go on. And, you know, you think about how disruptive that is um, to a young man or, you know, baseball career goals. Right. And you say, you know what, I chose the wrong school out of high school. Now I'm in the portal. Um, or I could go back to junior college, be a bounce back, but I want to stay at a four-year school. I'm trying to find the next fit. I'm getting all this D2 interest. It's, I'm, I'm not looking to go to, you know, St. Edwards or, you know, Cal State Monterey Bay. I want to stay in D1, but nothing's happening. I, I think that's, you know, I, one of the things I tell kids on my, on my college night during my all-star camp, when we talk about the recruiting experience and how to go about the process of, of finding the right fit for you. I tell the last thing I tell kids is sit down with your mom and dad and the final decision you should make. If I don't play baseball there, would I still go to school? Hmm. Is it still the place that I would pick? And, and I think if people use that at the end of the process, it's hard when you're all baseball, Andrew, and you and I are both all baseball. We've been all baseball our whole life. We get it. We understand the mentality 
every kid thinks he's the best guy in the country or I'll work harder than the guy next year next to me and I'll beat him out. Okay. Yep. But I think that final decision needs to be if I pick the University of Kansas and baseball doesn't work out, is that where I want to go to school socially? Is that where I want to get my degree from? And can my parents afford it financially? All those factors we're talking about in the whole ball and making that selection process, that one needs to be the final one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, with COVID-19, recruiting has taken a totally different turn. Uh, you guys are having to be way more resourceful. You're in a dead period, probably through the year into March um, is most likely going to be the case. Um, using network, using your network, using your relationships. How many, how, how are you guys, you know, tackling that? How many references do you try to call on per player, you know, to get background on a kid maybe you've never seen, or maybe you've seen once, but it's been 12 months, whatever. Get, kind of give us a little bit of an idea of, um, of how you're trying to navigate this new normal. Well, you know, because I was a high school coach, Andrew, I, I think one of the guys that's left out in the process that a lot of schools is the high school coach nowadays. We all are out recruiting in the fall when they're playing on fall travel teams. We're all recruiting in the summer at all the national events that are held around the country. And we have established relationships with those travel team coaches. Uh, and we forget the high school coach. So I think one of the things that I tell my guys is if they go someplace and they watch a guy play in the Arizona Fall Classic, and they like them. The first thing they have to come back is don't just tell me about the day you saw him play in Arizona, what he was doing. I want to see his stats on my desk. I want to see what his performance has been in the summer, what his performance has been with the spring. I want you to talk to his high school coach about his character and his work ethic and what kind of teammate he is, what his parents are like, okay? And, and how do they react at games and when he's not playing or are they making stupid comments out of the stands that, Wow. I mean, that we just hear some things you can't believe sometimes, you know, but I, I think there are, we all have people that we trust in the game and no matter what that program is, if your kid comes out of a certain area, you'll call the people that you trust. We all have scouts that we trust that we'll call those guys in their area. Uh, and now you got so many professional teams running travel teams. Now in our area, when I started here, there was no Kansas City Royal Scout teams. It was one of the things that blew my mind. There were only like four travel teams in the whole Midwestern area. Now there's 75 in Kansas City alone. Yep. But the Royals have a 15, 16, and 17-year-old scout team, which is the way it was in California when I left. The best guys got to play on the, on the pro scout teams. Uh, but I think you develop relationships with those guys. And, you know, we're watching stream games. And when you get done watching the stream games, and if you like somebody, and we're picking the phone up, we're calling Jack Monahan of the Royals. Hey, tell me about such and such, such and such. And they shoot you straight. I mean, one of the great things about pro scouts, they tell you exactly the way they see it. Yeah, Jack's a great dude. Jeremy Jones with with the, the Royals yeah. and yeah. building champions. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, two more questions I'm going to ask. Um, one is, you talked a little bit about parents, you know, in the stands and some of the things what are some of the, the mistakes that parents can avoid that can, you know, jeopardize, you know, their kids recruitment. And I think sometimes parents don't underestimate or underestimate how much college coaches are paying attention to the little things. Um, so if you don't mind kind of drill in on that a little bit. 
Well, one of the things that, that, that I do, if we're going to make a young man a scholarship offer, I make a home visit at his house. So when I go in and sit down and it takes about two hours, and the first thing I tell parents is, is that, hey, I coach in one of the in a power five school, one of the best leagues in America. Everybody in my league can coach, okay? So I'm going to focus on the resources that our school's going to provide to give your son the best college experience possible. So I'm going to cover the, 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 uh, the training services, the medical staff, the weight room, the strength program, the off-season program, the technologies that we use, summer placement of, of wood bat leagues that we send you, you to, uh, the whole gamut I'm going to cover in that process. But part of what I want to also find out is who's going to let their son live it? Because there's so many parents that think they're, they're helping their son that, that want their son to go here, want their son to go there, but they're not the one that's got to live it. Yep. So the kid has to be all in. And when he gets into the part where it's 6.30 in the morning, he's in the weight room, or he's outside and it's 28 degrees, and he's got a 25-minute workout on the field, because that may be the only day we get outside. He's living it. Mom and dad are at home doing their job, doing their thing. But if, if they're talking to them constantly every night, and there are dads out there that know what they're talking about, no doubt about it. But the, the parents that are in the stands constantly videoing their son or are in their stance in the stands and the kids looking up in the stands and the dad's doing something with his, with his batting stance. Those are the ones that just put me over the top. It's like the helicopter dad, hey, your kid has to step in the box. Yep. Your kid has to compete against the guy on the mound. He should be in the batter's on deck circle doing his homework, release point. What pitches and what sequences? What's his velo like? Am I timing to get my front foot down? All the preparation things that you and I understand in a game, and you prepare in the cages to compete in the game. Let your God-given count take over. The kid who's worried about what his dad's telling him, I haven't seen very many of those guys be very successful in the game. Usually those are the guys that end up with mental problems and can't play when the lights turn on, okay, that, uh, when they play at game speed. Oh yeah, hundred hundred percent, and um, that's a huge point. So, giving it up, giving the game up uh, for your for your child to to play and enjoy the reward of playing the game is such a huge deal. Um, well, Coach Matt, I know we could friggin' uh, go on forever, and uh, I love talking with you. You know, you got an infectious uh, personality and energy for the game, and um, you know, I'm just excited for. Uh, what you continue to build there and the type of men that you're producing uh, in terms of um, just, you know, the rock chalk tradition. So um, send, send my love to the family as well. And um, just always a pleasure catching up with you and uh, love the Mahomes Jersey. I didn't mention it earlier, but uh, yeah, you can, you can give us a little show of uh, Patrick there for, for the, for, for the audience here. Andrew, I'm going to close on this and tell you, you're one of my favorite guys in the game. So when I got your text message asking to do this, I'd do anything for you. Okay. And when you respect somebody and you are an outstanding player, you're even a better person. So I appreciate everything you're giving back to the game. But my boys were growing up when I was a young JC coach in California with no gray hair, Joe Montana and the 49ers were winning five world championships. And I was a big 49ers fan. So I got a seven year old grandson for Christmas. I bought him a Mahomes Jersey. Him and I were in the basement together when the Chiefs won the world championship. So I'm wearing the Mahomes jersey just like my grandson is today, okay? Uh, and my final part is, Andrew, I'm sorry you didn't go, go surfing today, 
but it's raining and it's 52 degrees and cold as hell out here today, okay? So you enjoy the sun and the beach, all right, Stud? Hey, but you're, you're, you're winning, dude. You're setting your guys up. You're setting the foundation up for, uh, for the program in the spring. So it's, uh, it's all part of laying the bricks, right? It's grinding. We're grinding, buddy. No doubt. All right, Coach, much love. Take care, buddy, and uh, thanks, thanks again. All right, you're the best. See you, Andrew. You got it. Thanks for being part of the Realities of College Recruiting podcast and our partner, Five Tool Baseball. You can easily subscribe on iTunes and check us out online at Sports Force Baseball for every past episode of our podcast. If you want to ask questions, share insights, and recommend future guests, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at SportsForceBB and Facebook under SportsForceBaseball. Be sure to join us on our next episode of the Realities of College Recruiting podcast. And remember, your college decision isn't a four-year one, it's a 40-year one.